intergalactic. back to the fourth episode of the Intergalactic Podcast. I'm your host, Aditi Shravastav. As of February 18th, the Perseverance rover touched down on Mars, bringing in a new era of geological exploration on the red planet as a true testament to the capabilities of extraordinary engineering. It takes incredible determination, teamwork, and, you guessed it, perseverance to conduct large-scale missions as such, which is exactly where systems engineers come in. Behind these huge missions, systems engineers collaborate and manage operations, bringing the world of space closer and closer to us on Earth. Today, we are so excited to have Danielle DeVoy, Senior Systems Engineer at the Aerospace Corporation, join us. Danielle has over 19 years of experience in mission management for the aerospace engineering industry. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. All right, um, start us off. In your words, what does being a systems engineer mean to someone who is unaware of it? Sure. So when I explain systems engineering to someone that doesn't have an engineering background, I'll usually explain that it's a lot like wedding planning. So when you're planning a wedding, you take months to years where you bring together a whole bunch of different vendors. So you'll have the florist, you'll have the officiant, you'll have the caterer. And then on the night of, after a couple hours, the whole thing is all over. And when you're coordinating a launch as a systems engineer, you have to do somewhat the same thing. You plan for months and years in advance of a rocket launch, and eventually you come together, you sit down on console, and in a few hours, the whole thing's all over. So it's really kind of the same thing, but with a lot more math. So it seems very obvious that there is a distinct um, junction and collaboration between a variety of disciplines in your job. So if you're going to be a technical rocket scientist, there's a bunch of specialized disciplines that you can be. You can be a propulsion engineer. You could be a structural engineer. You could specialize in the communications between the rocket or the satellite in the ground. But in my role as a mission manager, as the overall systems engineer, we have to start way early and we have to talk about what it means to acquire the rocket and acquire the satellite and actually do the purchasing of that to write the proposals for what it's going to look like to the customers when they come what they're actually going to be getting for their money and what they're not going to be getting and just kind of decide the menu of options that they might want Um, so if you're working on a government launch you want to do what you can to make sure that you're being prudent with the taxpayer dollars that you're using. So if you uh, change something really early on when you're acquiring the spacecraft and when you're acquiring the rocket, if you say something as small as the word and in a sentence, you can save yourself weeks and weeks of time and effort and lots and lots of money. Could you speak about the versatility of the field and what makes it so appealing to you? Yeah, absolutely. I think for every individual engineer that you're going to go nuts if you're not working with your own strengths. So there's different ways to support spaceflight and space launch, even if you're not a really good math or physics nerd. Um, When I go and I speak to young children about getting into space, I tell them that we have engineers, we have mechanics that are actually turning wrenches on the rockets and assembling it. We have managers that are good with uh, people. We have artists that 
paint the rocket and kind of describe um, everything through their art and how things might look in the future. We have writers that write procedures. We have environmentalists that make sure that we're not hurting the earth with our launches. Um, sometimes we have astronauts. So maybe if you're a really good athlete, you could support space that way. Going along with that, what kind of skills or what kind of person do you think would make a great systems engineer? What kind of personality traits or expertise would, um, would the industry be looking for? I think that it's really great to have a high level view of everything to see how everything will come together. So not just understanding fluid mechanics really well or aerodynamics really well, but to understand how things intersect. And I think most of all, my number one piece of advice is the people are what really matters when you're doing this. So you're teammates and that you're able to work well with them and that you're not just sitting at a computer running lines of code, but that you're understanding what people's needs are and uh, why they need what they need. So why do some satellites really hate magnets? Why do some satellites really like certain RF bands and uh, or radio frequency bands for communications? Uh, you talked a little bit about the importance of high-level thinking. Do you have any tips or any techniques you'd recommend for a person who's probably not really aware of how to do that? Yeah, I always advise to diversify yourself as much as possible. So in high school, I uh, was taking all of these science classes. I took every science class I could take because I knew I was interested in science. Um, I was also doing sports. I was also... Uh, volunteering so that I could meet people from different worlds than I was living in. And I was also working at the University of California, San Diego on a space project um, just to see all these different disciplines. So I think when you're young, definitely try everything out. And when you do that, over time, you'll be able to learn how to piece them together. But just give everything a shot. It seems like you kind of knew what you wanted to do for a really long time since high school. Um, is that the case? When I was about four years old, the Space Shuttle Challenger, um, this was early on before the mishap that they had, um, the first flight of a female astronaut for Women's History Month, I'd like to bring this up, um, Sally Ride flew on STS-7. And that Challenger mission wasn't able to land back in Florida. So they landed at the alternative landing site, which is Edwards Air Force Base in California. So we didn't have very much notice, but my parents just bundled us all up in a Winnebago and we drove out to the desert and we saw the Challenger land that was carrying the first woman astronaut that um, had ever flown for the United States. So ever since then, I have just been, you know, absolutely into it and um, I haven't diverted from it at all. So that kind of is what motivated me. And then in um, high school, I worked, I mentioned a project at University of California, San Diego, and Dr. Ride was actually the advisor of our program there. And so I got, I got to work with her. And um, my favorite quote from her that I would like to, to read is, Young girls need to see role models in whatever careers they may choose, just so that they can picture themselves doing the job someday. You can't be what you can't see. So seeing Dr. Ride flying in space and landing back in Earth when I was young and then working with her later has kind of 
spurred me on to work in space forever. And then I also try and do the same thing to look backwards and to lift other women and other young engineers up to do the same. So were there any specific experiences you had in high school that contributed to your career plan or just kind of maintaining that interest in space? Yes. In high school, I worked on a program called KidSat at the University of California, San Diego, which is the one I mentioned that I worked for with Dr. Ride. And it was really interesting because we had a camera that we put on the space shuttle Atlantis, and we would work with middle schoolers and grade school kids, and they would think of things that they wanted to learn about the planet Earth. They might want to learn about deforestation in Brazil, or they might want to learn about pollution and runoff in rivers, or they might want to learn about snowmelt. So we would work with the kids and understand where they wanted to take a picture, and we'd work out the orbital mechanics so we would know exactly when the space shuttle Atlantis would be over the region they wanted a picture of, and work the timing to tell the camera when to snap the pic. So then we would download the pictures and the kids would be able to use them in their reports and science projects. So um, working on that program with Dr. Wright is kind of really what got me going into space. So um, that was the big thing for me. And something that I learned about that as a high school student was there weren't really any high school students working on it. It was a UCSD university program. Uh, it was mostly college kids. And I had someone hook me up with contact information and I just went in there and I said, hi, I'm here. You don't have to pay me. I just want to learn. And as an intern, I got all of this information. Um, Dr. Ride wrote my letter of recommendation to get into college. So you just got to try out of the box things that can end up taking you really far, which this actually took me my whole career. Uh, besides uh, space necessarily, has STEM always been a big part of your life? Do you have any experiences that you want to mention um, where you explored STEM at a younger age? So um, my dad and I would always set off model rockets in the backyard and go chase after them and trying to get them higher and higher. So that was always a part of it. Um, but STEM can help you not just with rockets, but working on remodeling your house or working on your car. You have electrical systems and fuel systems and all sorts of different systems that have to come together. So it's not just rocket science. It can apply everywhere in your life. Um, yeah, I just really like um, the common language of math and science. It's something that you can talk to with people all over the world. I've worked with people in Russia. I've worked with people in New Zealand. I've worked with people in France. I've worked with people in South Korea. And we all have the same goal of exploring space together. And um, I've mentioned before, I love people, I love humans, I love lifting other people up, and I wouldn't have had the opportunity to have worked with so many amazing people if I hadn't been in STEM. So what do you gain from all these new perspectives? You talked about your different projects all around the world. I'm sure you were able to get a lot of new exposure to um, different ideas, different ways of doing things. 
I have worked on a wide variety of programs for a wide variety of customers. So the first rocket I launched was the Zenit 3SL, which was for a program called Sea Launch. We had a converted oil platform that we would take out to the equator. The equator is the optimum place to launch a rocket from. That's why in the U.S. we launch from Florida. That's why the French go to Karoo in um, South America to launch from. It just gives you the most bang for your buck in terms of orbital mechanics in order to get to space. So we took this converted oil platform that was run by a Norwegian team and we went to the equator pretty much directly south of Hawaii and we launched 200 foot tall rockets that were made by first and second stage were Ukrainian, third stage was Russian built, and then the payload accommodations, the um, part that covers the satellite was built by Boeing in the United States. So we got so many different ideas from so many different people um, and we came together to launch commercial satellites. So if you have Sirius XM in your car, um, that was launched by my company, DirecTV, Dish Networks, um, communication satellites that bring you the Olympics from the other side of the planet. Um, it was all very commercial and it was driven by making money um, in the business case. And after that, I went to work for the U.S. government, so launching things like GPS um, and weather satellites and communication satellites. And those are, you know, driven by value to the taxpayer and safety. And um, I've seen all the levels of doing it faster, better, cheaper to doing it absolutely the right way. And there's no room to fail. And just trying to find the balance between the two has been a big part of my career. And I'm glad I have a variety of different perspectives. Is there a specific project you've worked on that you found the most interesting or maybe the most challenging? My first job with Sea Launch was really interesting because I, I got to work with Russian rocket scientists that a few years ago uh, we would be working against in the Cold War. And now we were taking rockets that were formerly used as swords, as acts of war in the uh, Star Wars program to help people watch the Olympics on TV. So turning swords into plowshares uh, was a phrase that we said a lot. Instead of um, hurting people, we were helping people. So I thought that was really interesting. And I worked on a program um, called Rocket Lab. And Rocket Lab is a really great company that is revolutionizing the way that more people privately and not just governments and big companies are able to do research in space. And um, they're doing it with a very small rocket called the Electron. And that's been really interesting for me too. So how do you constantly stay inspired by your work? And what motivates you to keep making waves in the industry and doing what you're doing? So I have found that there are no two days that are alike for me. Every day, something different is happening. So tonight, there is a Starlink launch from SpaceX, and I'm going to be on console monitoring how that countdown goes. So that's really exciting. I get really hands-on console launch experience. And yesterday, I was at a launch base, and I was looking at how it would work to process satellites in there, if they are going to have uh, the room they need to do it and um, the facility requirements that satellites like, they, you know, need power, they need high pressure air, they need a certain level of cleanliness. Um, and 
another day I might actually be at a satellite manufacturer and another day I might be at a rocket manufacturer and learning just how they all come together. Um, the variety of it is really what gets me inspired. And um, also just the cool people I get to meet, you know, everyone makes jokes about rocket scientists being really big nerds, but I think we're a really funny bunch. That's awesome. So you talked a little bit about how you're going to be working on the console, if I'm right. Um, What's that like? What does that look like? Yeah, if you want to imagine from the movie Apollo 13, where everyone is at those long rolls of rows of computers and they have the headsets on and they're giving go, no go. Um, so I am actually an operator where I sit on console to conduct the launch. So my job is I uh, work the interface between the satellite and the rocket. So I spend several months before a launch uh, making sure that the satellite isn't going to hurt the rocket and the rocket isn't going to hurt the satellite. So when rockets fly, they shimmy and shake a lot. Satellites are really delicate pieces of communication equipment. Um, All satellites have to communicate. They always do other things like GPS location or taking photos for Google Earth or um, sending TV signals. So um, they don't like a lot of shaking and they don't like a lot of radiation pointed at them. So I just make sure that the satellite's going to be safe. And, you know, if satellites shake the wrong way or they have their own antennas on, they could also hurt the rocket back. So the end goal is we want to make sure everyone is safely in space. Um, So when we're there on the day of launch, we have set a whole bunch of requirements where we make sure that things aren't going to go wrong, that the air conditioning on the satellite is going to be good. Um, And if something goes wrong, that we make sure that we follow the procedures and get it fixed and get into space safely. That's so cool. And there's so many moving parts at play here. It kind of all ties back to the whole point of systems engineering as a whole. So what's it like to work on such high risk projects and how do you work to mitigate risk? It's really interesting with the level of risk in rocket science, because if something goes wrong, it's usually visually really apparent in that we have uh, a really big fireball, or as we call it, a rapid unscheduled disassembly. Um, I've only worked on one rocket launch that ended in a fireball, and that was in 2007. And you can imagine YouTube was a little different back then, but the video of my bad day at work was the second most viewed video on YouTube of the day. When it goes wrong, it goes really wrong. Um, That rocket that failed, what happened was there was a, a little piece of metal debris that was in the fuel line. And that debris got into the turbo pump and seized up um, part of the pump. And when the pump wasn't able to run and the rocket is, you know, sending very hot gas out the backside from combustion, it just ripped the whole engine apart. So you have a 200 foot tall rocket that's brought down by a piece of debris that is... uh, is one pea size, you kind of learn you have to sweat the small stuff. Is it ever intimidating to take on a project uh, going along with that and with the different risks associated with it? 
Yeah, it's certainly intimidating. Um, it's hard to find the words to describe the mix of joy and sheer terror you feel when you set off a controlled explosion of that magnitude. It's it's exhilarating and terrifying. Um, everyone has their rituals. I have to wear a certain pair of earrings. I won't wear black on launch day. Um, but you have to trust in your people and you have to trust in your processes and you have to trust in yourself that you've done everything right. And how do you manage that kind of pressure and that kind of stress on you um, from a work perspective? That's a really good question. And I think this isn't specific only to rocket scientists, but I think you have to have a good work-life balance. You have to um, make sure you're spending time with your family, spending time reading, spending time doing yoga or meditation and exercise, moving your body, eating the right things. I just believe that, um, you know, having a whole system of systems of your life uh, working well together is going to lead to doing your best on console when you're launching an actual rocket. Since you've been involved in the aerospace industry for quite some time, have you seen a, any dramatic shifts in the attitudes or the focuses in space or the motivations behind certain things? You have seen in your own life that technology and electronics are getting much smaller and much better. So the first computers that we had decades ago, you had to fit them in giant conference room sized rooms. And now you have computers that you can fit in your back pocket. And you used to have phones that would hang on the wall and were, you know, a couple feet big. And now you have an iPhone or an Android that you can just fit in your bag. So it's not just stuff that's terrestrial that's getting smaller, but satellites are getting much smaller. So one of the first satellites that I launched was about 10,000 pounds heavy. It was giant. It was the size of a double-decker bus. And recently, I worked on a launch which had a CubeSat which um, is about the size of a loaf of bread. So I've gone from launching double-decker buses to actually holding a satellite in my hands. So you asked me before about the risk that goes into being a rocket, science, a rocket scientist, and um, a lot of companies are using this smaller technology in order to mitigate their risk. So it costs millions and millions of dollars to make one of these giant double-decker buses and to buy a rocket that is big enough to get that into space. Uh, but now what companies and universities are able to do is they're able to launch constellations of these small microsatellites or cube satellites into space um, for several thousands of dollars. And if something happens on a launch and you lose a couple satellites, it's not as big of a deal if you lose your multi-hundreds of millions of dollars giant satellite. So that's definitely a way that the industry's moving. A lot of satellite companies are building them much smaller and much faster. And there's a whole new fleet of different launch vehicles that are smaller that are able to um, put these into orbit for much less money. So just because you're small doesn't mean you're not effective. So cool. So previously you mentioned a little bit about um, how you're going to be watching the Starlink launch. Uh, do you, could you elaborate a little bit on what um, aerospace's role is in that? 
So Starlink is a constellation of satellites that SpaceX is building and launching. And um, if you think about satellite phones, where if you're out in the middle of the Kalahari or if you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean with no cell phone towers in sight, you're able to connect by a satellite to communicate with people. So what Elon Musk is doing with this constellation is he's essentially blanketing the whole planet with Wi-Fi. So you'll be able to connect to the internet anywhere on the earth. And so that's great. Um, a lot of developing countries will be able to have more access to information and uh, to be able to improve um, the people that are there. So um, what I do at Aerospace we are a federally funded research development center. So we're a nonprofit and we are a group kind of like a think tank of um, the smartest engineers that um, are in the industry. So if you need to find the smartest guy about zero G batteries or solar arrays or a specific propulsion system, aerospace probably employs him or her. And so the U.S. government will come to us, um, and me and as a system engineer, I know which different discipline I need to go to to get answers to the hardest questions that the government has. So tonight on console, I'm going to be learning a little bit more about SpaceX and how they do their launch countdown, and I'm going to be able to apply it to future missions that we're going to be launching. That is so cool. So going back a little bit to just your role in systems engineering, is there a specific skill that you'd say is the most crucial um, to your job? So I always make a joke when I'm talking about what the hardest stuff is when you are doing the rocket science of getting things to space. And, you know, you have the combustion chemistry that's very complicated and you have the loads that the rocket applies to the satellite, which are very complicated, or the vibration levels. Um, but the things that actually end up being the most problematic are getting everyone to agree to a launch logo and getting everyone to agree where they're going to sit. So it's not the math, it's the people um, that you need to know how to work with. Definitely. Yeah, you've talked a lot about that um, previously, and I think that's really important to stress, I guess, in all fields, um, the importance of connecting with people and working together uh, to collaborate for a common goal. Um, going back to the conversation about high school and kind of picking your careers and all of that jazz, um, is there any advice that you'd give to yourself if you were to look back to your experience in high school so I was pretty lucky in that I found out when I was four what I wanted to do for my career for the rest of my life. And I know that that is super abnormal. So I just want to give the advice to not feel that you have to be locked in to your path so early on that you can change your mind and you can change whatever tack you're on at any time in your life. And to do things for you and because they feel right and not to do things for other people. So until you figure out what that is, be diverse, try a lot of different things and to always do it with kindness. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's also very reassuring to hear from a high schoolish perspective because all of a sudden um, you're kind of forced to make a lot of decisions, but it's nice to hear that they don't have to be permanent. 
what someone in high school ends up doing as their career might not even exist yet. So just always be open to new things because who knows what's going to come up from what we uh, find when we start trying to mine things on Mars. So I have one final question for you. This one's kind of a fun one. If you could sum up your life so far into a slogan or a catchphrase. Uh, I would just say... uh, be kind and to lift other people up. I'd love to thank Danielle for joining us today. Thank you so much for having this incredible conversation with us and giving us some great insight into the world of systems engineering and space overall. Thank you so much for having me. This was the first time I was ever on a podcast and I had so much fun. You do a great job in interviewing. Fantastic with the questions. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Intergalactic Podcast. Production support by Eileen Owens. Editing by Daniel Gillies. Music is Problem Thing by Dave Kiefer. And this is your host, Aditi Shravastava. Please tune in for our next episode, where I'll be exploring more of space, tech, and beyond.